1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the reason why we're uh, introducing this this way uh, in connection with the sermon is because there's a complete uh, package here of how to successfully minister to other people. How to, the principles of ministry successfully to other people. And that's what we're talking about with our family. How parents can successfully minister as parents but how we do it as pastors, how we do it as elders, how we do it as one believer helping other people to grow in Christ or help somebody come to know Christ. And there's principles here in 1 Thessalonians 2. That's why I want to take time to read this. I'm going to make some comment, comments on it in my message, but I would encourage you to study it further because I'm not going to go into it in a whole lot of depth. But there are some incredible principles here. And I'd like to just start out by showing you how powerful this is in verse 13. If these principles are are working properly, the way the first 12 verses explain, notice what happens in verse 13. For this cause, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received our ministry of God's word... And that's what we're trying to minister, is God's word. He said, you received it as the word of God, which you heard of us, and you did not receive it as the word of men. Now, that's the goal of parenting right there. That children would understand the power of God's word in their life. And God gives us principles here. Incredible principles of how to disciple, how to shepherd, how to lead. And so now we'll read the first 12 verses and see if you can pick out some of the principles. I'll, I'll comment on it later in the, in the sermon. In verse 1, he's talking about when he came to the Thessalonians and he first started ministering to them. He says, our entrance in unto you was not in vain. What he's saying is there's fruit coming from my ministry with you because of these principles that were followed and your response to these principles. And so there's fruit. God's ordained us to bring forth fruit and fruit that will remain, right? John 15. And so now we have some principles here that will work in any family. It will work in any church. It will work in any discipleship relationship of shepherding and so forth. He says it was not in vain. Now verse 2. Even after we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, and not in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who testeth our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness to this. When you call God to witness, it better really be true. Amen? 
And he's calling God to witness. And may us as parents be able to call God to witness that it's really true in our heart shepherding. It says in verse 6, Not of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Underline it. Highlight it. Put a star by it. Memorize it. What does God require if we're going to effectively shepherd? I had to sing the song last week, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need what? Tender care, gentle care. Gentleness is a very extremely important quality of ministry. We were gentle among you. Even as a nurse cherishes her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own soul, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And as you know, and notice how he brings in the family here. The principles he's explaining, he's now relating it to a father. He's already related it to a nurse and motherly care. Now he relates it to a father. As you know, we exhorted and encouraged and charged every one of you in what way? In the same way a father would do with his children. So these are very important principles here when it comes to the family. Every one of you as a father does with his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you to his kingdom and glory. For this cause we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God in this manner in our ministry, you received it as the word of God which you heard of us. You received it not as the word of men. Praise be to God. May God bless that to happen in every home, every household, every family. And may God do it in powerful ways, even with broken situations that needs to be put back together. Amen? Such a wonderful uh, sense of the presence of the Lord today um, among us, and I thank God for that. Now, this message is continuing from last Sunday. Uh, We're in this whole section of Scripture about uh, family, home, and parenting, and Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And we're focusing on one particular verse in verse 4. It talks about provoke not your children to wrath. And we began last week with some foundational thoughts, and now we want to just get into some points here, uh, further points about how do we avoid provoking children to wrath. How do we avoid anybody we're trying to help uh, minister to, anybody we're trying to shepherd, anybody we're trying to disciple? How do we avoid the pitfalls of, um, that cause people to reject the truth rather than receive the truth. And it happens all the time. 
So none of us want to be a stumbling block. And uh, one of the most severe warnings that the Lord ever gave had to do with being a stumbling block to children. Um, He said, it's better for you that a millstone be tied around your neck than in some way you offend one of these little ones. So what we did last Sunday as a congregation when we agreed to uh, watch over each other and each other's families that none of us would cause an offense of stumbling. That's a very sober commitment. It's a very uh, much needed. Uh, we need to do it with real earnestness, real seriousness, that we're committed to uh, not being a stumbling block, especially to children, especially in the day and age in which we live. Now, the first point is kind of picking up on last week. And if we're going to avoid uh, provoking others to wrath, especially our sons and daughters, we've got to communicate to them a right perception of God. In my library, and probably in your library, is a book by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in the introductory chapters of that book, he says what your perception of God is can just about predict your life and how your life will go. Not, not who God really is, but your perception of who he is is what dictates what happens. And we as parents have a very awesome responsibility to communicate to our children. Uh, a, a, to me, this is foundational. It's the master principle. A right perception of God. Now, the reason why I believe this is so important is what happened with Moses back in the Old Testament. When God uh, established Moses to be the leader, and Moses had a grumpy group of people to work with. He had uh, some complainers, and he had some murmurers. And whenever you're the leader and you hear all the murmuring and all the complaining that goes on, it's very easy for the leader to get irritated which is what happened with Moses. And God was providing, and God is always providing. God is sufficient to provide. And so God told Moses, I'm going to provide. This is how I'm going to do it. I want you to speak to the rock. And out of the rock will come the water that the people need. And so when Moses, and if you read that chapter in Numbers, it says, gather the people together. I want the people present when you do this. This is to be a public matter because I'm going to communicate something to the people. And it wasn't just that I I can meet their needs. I want them to have a right perception of me. And when I'm paraphrasing. This is my own. I'm adding to the text here. Everybody understand? But this is the way I understand what God was doing. And so God told Moses to speak to the rock. And when Moses got there, he said, he called the people rebels. How would you like it if the pastor called you a rebel? That wouldn't sit too well. And I think when Moses uh, said that, I think it was more than his words. I think it was the spirit of his words and the irritation in his spirit. When he said, you rebels, we've got to fetch you water. You ought to be trusting God. You ought to be having security in God. I shouldn't have to listen to all this. I'm not sure what Moses was thinking, but, uh, you know. Anyways, you know what happened there. Instead of uh, 
speaking to the rock with the authority of God himself behind the word of God, what did Moses do? He struck the rock. And God said, you have not sanctified me in the eyes of the people. You have not, my understanding is you have not communicated to me, you have not communicated to my people a right perception of who I am. And it was a very serious matter with God because, uh, you know, Moses was not able to uh, go into the promised land as a result of there. Now, he got there later at the uh, uh, Mount of Transfiguration uh, experience. But uh, God's serious about this matter of people having a right perception of him because this is how deception takes place. This is how sin takes place. This is how we go into sin if we don't have a right perception of God and who he is. And sometimes we as believers don't communicate that properly. We don't even understand it properly ourselves. We're all a work in progress, but it's the, it's the goal. It's the master principle. And uh, A.W. Tozer does a great job in his book of explaining this. Now, I want to read a quote here. This is from a commentary on Ephesians by Brian Chappell, Chappell. He says, The reality of the Heavenly Father's love can be more real, more powerful, and more motivating than biology and learned behavior. For this reason, an intimate relationship with God this is a, uh, this, to me, this is an incredible statement here. For this reason, an intimate relationship with God does more to establish what we will be as parents than any other single fact in our existence or background. What he's saying is the parent's own relationship with God is the key principle of training. Because if we have a wrong perception of God, and we're trying to communicate that to our children, uh, we're going to communicate in wrong ways who he really is. So the best thing that any of us can do for our sons and daughters is to cry out to God to open our understanding to our own knowledge of him and make sure that we are focused on an intimate relationship with him. And uh, I was reading so many times in the Bible, like in John 3, says, um, God sent not his son into the world to do what? Condemn the world. I had a guy one time uh, came up to me after I preached a message on the family. Or uh, I think I was getting ready to preach a message on the family. And he said, are you going to condemn us this morning? And, uh, you know, because sometimes when we're preaching on these matters, that's how we come across as pastors sometimes. We come across condemning. That's the last thing that anybody needs, including our sons and daughters. Amen. The law condemns every person in the world. Amen. The law of God condemns every person in the world. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world to do what? Rescue and save the world. So... The spirit of the gospel is there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. And God 
wants to rescue. He wants to save. He wants to bring under his protective covering and blessing every person. And uh, he's not willing, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. But we're not going to reach people. I mean, I've heard it from guys in prison about um, condemnation uh, preaching in prison. When the preachers go there with a condemnation spirit, condemnation attitude. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't reach people. It doesn't, it doesn't connect with people. Uh, it doesn't, it's not fruitful. The law of God, now we, do, we should preach the law of God. We should not compromise the word of God. But the, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts people. Amen? We can't take the place of the Spirit of God in condemning people or convicting people. That's the Spirit of God's job. But we need to be faithful to preach the word of God. And uh, God will do the work. God will do the work. We're not talking about compromise here. But we are talking about our spirit. Which leads me to my next point. The second point. The spirit of parenting, or whatever way you want to describe this. And uh, our spirit is very important. We talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about walking in the Spirit. We talk about being led by the Spirit, which means when we're controlled by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and so forth, our spirit should be reflective of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, if, if I were to say, well, uh, how did the meeting go? And you told me what you talked about in the meeting, and uh, I would get some information and understanding what took place in the meeting. But if I said, well, what was the spirit of the meeting? Is that a different question? Is that a different question entirely? There can be interchange of information. There can be interchange of, of, uh, of truth. But if the spirit is not like God's spirit it will fall on deaf ears, and it will be counterproductive to what we're trying to accomplish. For instance, God tells us very clearly in Proverbs, He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of anger that comes out of sowing iniquity and, and then experiencing vanity, the, the rod of anger that comes out of that will... What does God say about it? Anybody remember? What does God say? If you discipline in anger, or if you discipline with the wrong spirit, if you don't discipline with the right spirit, what does God say about it? He says it will fail. And no question about it. The rod of anger will fail. Furthermore, if, if uh, I mentioned last week, it says make no friendship with an angry man, lest you pick up his spirit and become like him. And some, if, we're, if we're disciplining with an angry spirit, uh, it's, it's counterproductive to what we're trying to accomplish. Because in, earlier in Ephesians, he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, because if you do have anger that you don't deal with properly, you will give place to who? So this whole matter of parenting and making sure our spirit is right, our attitude is right, making sure the environment of it is right, it's a very challenging situation. I, 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 my hats are off to every, all parents because it's very challenging. To The first three verses requires children to obey their parents. And we as parents have a responsibility 
to make sure that happens. Amen? And by the way, children, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to getting to the first three verses because it speaks directly to children. Don't you ever think that children don't know what's going on? I think sometimes we make mistakes as parents go to say, well, shit, they're just not old enough to catch up with this yet. They don't understand this yet. Listen, children know what's going on a lot better than you think. And Paul, he directly addressed children in Ephesians. Because children have a moral responsibility to God. And children can take in far more than you might ever think. And so if we cooperate with God to teach obedience in the home, which is a whole other sermon we've we got to get into, how, how do you do that, do that properly? God can speak to the children's heart. Now, what we're after here, this is a third point. What we're after here is we're not trying to make somebody our disciple so they listen to our voice. The ultimate goal is to teach our children or to teach anybody we're working with how to listen to God's voice. And can children hear God's voice speaking to them? And will God work supernaturally? When you and I have a, um, the right kind of a spirit, we give God an opportunity to work supernaturally. For instance, if you were to read Daniel... And I looked it up again this week. I thought it only said at one time about Daniel, but it actually mentions it at least twice and maybe three times there. It said that, does anybody remember what it said about Daniel's spirit? What kind of, how does it describe Daniel's spirit? You remember? It said that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Now, because Daniel had an excellent spirit, when he made an appeal to those in authority over him, it gave God the right opportunity to work supernaturally because of Daniel's spirit. Now, sometimes Daniel didn't even make an appeal because he knew it was useless. He he saw the the hand of God in what was about to happen to him. But when he did make an appeal, for instance, when it says the king commanded him to uh, eat of the king's meat that he knew he shouldn't eat of, uh, he made an appeal in chapter 1, right? And his appeal was effective and got results ten times better than anything the king was coming up with. But the reason why his appeal was effective was because he had an excellent spirit. And an excellent spirit means you truly do love the people you're making an appeal to. That you're, you're not expecting anything in return from them. You're giving to them expecting nothing in return. That's, that's, that's agape love. And he had a servant spirit. A servant spirit is truly trying to make others successful. You get more joy out of making others successful than you do of your own success. That's a true servant spirit. Daniel truly wanted to make the king successful. He wasn't out to condemn the king. Amen. He truly, in his heart, loved the king. And he truly, in his heart, wanted the king to be successful. And Daniel knew how to get there better. He knew God's way and how to get there. Now, if that can happen with Daniel making an appeal under authority, then it also can happen when those in authority know how to shepherd and discipline and train with the right spirit. You follow me? It works both ways. When we have the right spirit. Now, 
Um, we mentioned gentleness earlier when we read the uh, scripture. And I, <laughs> gentleness is a very, very powerful requirement for ministry. Which is the opposite of provoking your children to wrath. Without harshness. Harshness is counterproductive. It's just like you, you, you cause the one you're talking to to be more resistant to you when they sense in your spirit that you're being harsh, judgmental, critical, condemning, so forth and so on. It, it's like First Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have all knowledge and all faith, and you know I'm very eloquent in how I can speak if I don't have a loving spirit, I mean a true, genuine, loving spirit, then I'm just making noise of people. It's not going to connect. It's not going to be fruitful. not going to impact. And God's spirit, uh, I mean, God can accomplish the work, but our spirit has got to be right with God. Amen? That's what this is all about. Our spirit has got to be like the Holy Spirit. If we grieve the Holy Spirit because our spirit is not in line with the Holy Spirit, then the power of the spirit will not be able to work. So that's, that's what I'm talking about here. So, now, for instance, most of you know this scripture. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Whether it's parents with children, or pastor with congregation, or you trying to help somebody else that's uh, trying to understand spiritual things, or two believers talking with each other, the servant of the Lord must not strive. But what must he do? He must be what? Gentle. And he must be gentle to how many people? There's some people it's harder to be gentle with than others. Everybody with me? There's some situations that it's harder to be gentle with. Moses had a situation. It was very difficult for him to be, to have a meek spirit, to have a quiet spirit, to have a gentle spirit. And if we don't have the right spirit, that's why David prayed in the uh, Psalms. He said, Lord, create in me, create in me a clean heart. And what else? Renew a right spirit within me. That's why the Lord himself with his apostles, you would think the, the higher ups, you would think the higher ups, we could get this. But it's just a, it's a problem with the flesh. It doesn't matter whether it's the prophets of the Old Testament the apostles of the New Testament, are we people, we all have got to cry out to God for this because our flesh is the flesh. But here were the apostles, and um, Jesus was not being treated properly in one of the Samaritan towns. And so uh, the apostles, two of them said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven, just like the prophet of the Old Testament did? And what did the Lord say? What did he say? He said, you know not, what did he say? You know not what spirit you are of. So the spirit of parenting, the spirit of the home, the spirit of a meeting, the spirit of an encounter, uh, uh, I would say, and uh, some of the commentators I read said the same thing, I would say you're better off delaying your discipline 
if you can't, if your spirit's not right yet. Because it's going to be counterproductive. You're going to end up with worse problems than what you started with if you don't have the right spirit when you discipline. It's very important to have the right spirit. And children are able to pick up our spirit. Amen? They're able to pick it up. Now, um, there's another point here. This has to do with I don't know what this point is, but I know what I want to say. Here's the point. This is how to avoid uh, provoking anger, provoking not getting results in ministry or shepherding or training. And that is we're too quick to jump to conclusions that we've got the understanding of the matter. Our spirit won't be right if, we're, if we jump to quick conclusions about things. And I just want to give a number of scriptures here. Uh, for instance, you know, I mean, every, every one of these points I'm making, uh, I'm, I'm making it because I've been through it and have miserably failed. So I'm not preaching a uh, success story here. I'm preaching a work in progress this is how it's supposed to work, and I'm a work in progress along with this. But the Bible says this. Here's what the Bible says. That let every man, does that include every one of us? Every man. And here's the way the King James puts it. I, I, I've always, I think I've always quoted, let every man be quick to hear. The actual King, King James word is swift to hear. Now, why does God say every one of us has got to be swift to hear? Because we're so quick to draw conclusions about things with only partial information. We're so quick to judge a matter thinking we've got, hey, I'm in charge here. I know what's going on here. I'll make the decisions here with that haughty spirit, that prideful spirit, that self-righteous spirit, and we don't. That's why the Bible says so important. You may have wisdom and still be lacking in understanding. Because understanding is you getting below the surface of what's going on and finding out what the root problems are. And if we start just trying to deal with the surface problems and we don't really understand the root of the problems, we're just putting a Band-Aid on a cancer that's going to keep on coming back and maybe worse than when it started. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. But in all you're getting of wisdom, make sure you get what? Understanding. And Solomon asked not only for wisdom, he asked for understanding. Understanding is discernment to see what the root problems are. So many times we're dealing with the surface problems, trying to correct or discipline. And that's why this Philippians 1, when it talks about abounding in love, in knowledge, and judgment, the word for judgment there means discernment, that God would give us discernment about what the root problem is. If somebody says to you, uh, like, for instance, why would sons and daughters be attracted to somebody else to open their heart up to somebody else and not open their heart up to their parents? 
Well, one reason that would happen is because my parents don't understand me. You're going to share with whoever you think understands where you're really coming from. We're all going to do that. Not just sons and daughters. If you don't think the person understands where you're coming from, why do you want to go further talking with that person? So there's got to be some understanding below the surface. And I'm going to preach on this when I get to children. One of the most important things in learning and education and obedience is learning how to hear right. Learning how to listen right. It's a key factor in education. It's a key factor in hearing God. But we, we have hearing, but we're, we're already thinking about what we're going to say while the other person is saying whatever they're saying. We're quick. That's why the God says we need to be... Um, uh, we're, we shouldn't be quick to... Uh, we should be uh, quick to hear and slow to what? Slow to speak, because if we're not quick to hear and slow to speak, what will be the result? Anger. Wrath. Lack of discernment about what's really going on. Now, here's another scripture. Years ago, I was... Um, 1985, we were first starting to homeschool. And in those days, it was a very pioneering effort. It was like you, one of a, just a few... And the principal of the school found out that we were homeschooling and called me and said, I've got to approve of this. And I said, okay, I know God's led me to do it. What if the principal doesn't approve of it? And so I started asking for counsel the best I could. And the counsel that was coming in to me was good counsel if the situation was what was perceived to be the situation. It was good counsel, but I didn't know if that was a situation or not to, to follow it that way. And God gave me a scripture in Proverbs. It says, he that answers a matter before what? The principal wanted to meet with me. She wanted to come down to our house and meet with our family. And uh, the question was, should you let her come or should you not let her come? That was the question. And so God gave me a scripture in those days, and God has an answer in his word when we are faced with difficult situations. Amen? He's got an answer in his word. And so he gave me that scripture in Proverbs that says that he that answers a matter before what? Before he hears it. I had not heard this principle out as to her intentions. I had not heard her out as to where she was coming from. I didn't know whether she was challenging me or not. Maybe she just was trying to do her job and cover her bases. So I decided to let her come. She visited with us maybe an hour at the most, put her stamp of approval on what we were doing, and it was no problem. It was no problem. Now, if I had gone the other way, before I understood where she was really coming from, I could have been picking a fight that I didn't have. And this is why it's so important to hear it out. The Bible says in Proverbs, the honor of a king, if you're going to be a leader and make wise decisions as a parent or a pastor or whoever you are, it's the honor of a king to search out a matter. Make sure you get all the information, all the data, as much input as you can from as many people as you can before you make a conclusion about it. It's happened to me many times, many times. I think I've got a handle on this. 
And then when I search it out further and get more information, I said, I was dead wrong about how I perceive it. The intention of the person, the motivation of the person. Here, uh, here's an example in the Old Testament. Uh, they, and I'm going to have to hurry this up if I get to Thessalonians. I'm not going to make it to Thessalonians, but uh, in the Old Testament, uh, here's David's brother, Eliab, raking David over the coals. He said, I know why you've come out here to the battlefield. He was so prideful, so arrogant, so condemning, because he thought he knew David's motives and David's intentions, and he made a quick decision about it, and he really exposed his own heart. Amen? Everything he was saying about David was what was in his own heart. The critic that's condemning reveals more about himself than he does the people he's criticizing. And he said, I know why you come out here and your, your motives and your intentions. Listen, the reason why David came out there is because he was doing a menial task for his dad. M- what most sons don't want to do. And he was doing it cheerfully. That's why he was on the battlefield. Because he was obedient to his dad with a menial task. His brother had no idea of that being the situation. Furthermore, he said, who have you left those few sheep with as if David was so insignificant to everything? And David had proven in taking care of those sheep, doing a menial task, how powerful God was. In whatever God had put him responsibility for, he proved the power of God in the little things of life. Amen? And David was ready to go against Goliath when Eliab and the rest of them had fear. And intimidation. All I'm trying to say is, did Eliab make a quick judgment based on his own deceptive heart? And we can do that as parents. I can do that as a pastor. Uh, here was an Old Testament example of uh, the th- two and a half tribes east of the Jordan. They were going back to their land, and they built this altar. And when the other tribes west of the Jordan saw that altar had been built, they got ready to go to war against the two and a half tribes because they assumed they knew why those two and a half tribes had built that memorial. They thought there was some idolatry involved, some false religion involved, some false worship of God involved. They assumed it. They presumed it. They were not quick to hear. They were not searching out the matter, right? When they did have a meeting and get with their brothers and find out what their real motive was and what their real intent was, praise be to God there was peace. Praise be to God there was rest. Listen, you can't see the intent of somebody's heart and motive of somebody's heart. You've got to search out the matter. Amen? And sometimes if you can't talk with a person, you've got to leave it with God sometime. Now, turn to First Thessalonians with me. I'm going to finish up with this. I just want to review some of these principles here. And I've asked you to pray about how long to stay on this subject because I've only covered a few of my points here. I don't know how far to go with this. So please keep praying for me as far as how long we we stay on this. In 1 Thessalonians 2, first principle I see of effective shepherding is in verse 2. And those who stand for truth, which parents are doing with their children, standing for truth, standing for what's right, uh, requiring their children to obey what's right. 
Anybody that stands for truth and what's right will have to go through suffering in some way. And that needs to be evident in those who are going through the suffering that you're standing for truth and then you're being harshly criticized for it or condemned for it or whatever it happens to be and persecuted, whatever word you want to use. And people need to see, listen, if you're standing for truth, can God take care of what the truth is? Everybody with me? There is no reason for anybody to be bitter when they're persecuted or, or, or accused or condemned when you stand for the truth. Can God go to bat for the truth, and will God always win for what the truth is? So we need to have a quiet spirit. We need to have a meek spirit. We need to have a servant spirit. We need to have a loving spirit because God will go to bat for the truth. It's like I sat down with my... Uh, Son Dan, I don't know if he remembers this or not, if he's going to listen to this recording or not, but years ago when he first got his license, I had a fatherly talk with him, and I said, look, this is what happened to me. You know, first got my license. Somebody told me to punch it, talking about the gas pedal, and I punched it, and I ended up in the ditch. And I could hear him. He didn't say it out loud, but I could just hear his mind saying, Dad, that was you. It never happened to me. The next morning, he called me from the police station. <laughs> and I thought he was trying to joke with me. I thought, he, he said, Dad, I'm at the police station. I've had an accident. I said, no, you're not going to get me on this. <laughs> and and it was, he was serious. He had a wreck. His car was not drivable. And the police took him to the police station. Can God make the points bigger than parents? But if you get angry or condemning or petty, I mean just petty, nitpicking all the time, it's not going to reach the conclusion. We need, God can go to bat for the truth. Amen? And God will go to bat for the truth. And whatever suffering comes your way, children need to see you don't get bitter. They need to see that you don't get bitter when you suffer for what's doing right. Amen? That is very important. Number two, is in verse three, Paul says, our exhortation was not of deceit or uncleanness or guile. Basically, he's saying, I'm not doing this for my own self-gain. I'm not doing this for my own self-interest. Anybody that's ever been a leader and does it right, I've said this so many times, anybody that wants to be the leader because they think the glitter and glamour of what goes with it, they don't have a clue. Don't have a clue. Being a leader will require you to die to self. Amen? Because if you don't die to self, if there's self-interest and self-gain and self-motivation in it, you're not going to last very long and you're going to cause problems for whatever's going on. That's why the Lord says, if you're a hireling and you're only in it for yourself, when the wolves of this world attack, the hireling will run away. Because he's only in it for his own self-gain, his own self-interest. So anybody that's going to be a successful leader of shepherding, parenting, discipling, has got to make sure self, I'm not disciplining my children for my own comfort. 
I'm, I'm disciplining them because of what they need in their life to have the blessing of God. It's not about them irritating me. It's about them having the blessing of God. Amen? That's what it's about. Number three, in verse six, Paul said, we, we were not seeking glory of you or of others. He said he was concerned about God's glory, God's name. And I think this is something we parents need to really pay attention to. So many times we don't want people to think less of us as parents because of whatever's going on. We need to be concerned about God's name. Amen? God's kingdom. God's reputation. That's what God goes to bat for. That's what God brings power from above for, his name. Verse 7, I've already mentioned how important gentleness is. He said in verse 7, we were gentle among you. Very important to have a meek, quiet, gentle spirit in parenting or leading. Uh, number uh, five, he said he imparted not only the gospel of God, but his own soul. And he also says in verse 11, as you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. How many of you have seen the sound of music? Uh, movie most of you do you remember the father in that movie i would say i mean i would um, i think i'm right in saying it this way he was regimenting his parenting and you know there is something to being a soldier of christ and there is something to uh learning discipline Uh, every believer has to have discipline like a soldier but it's not the parent's job to regiment it in somebody else's life. If it's, the, if it's going to be there, it's got to come from within the person themselves. You can't make somebody else discipline themselves. Amen? So you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm saying regimenting parenting is not going to work, but building a relationship. This is what Paul did here. He built a relationship with the people he ministered to. He says there in verse 11, we exhorted and comforted and charged every, what does it say? Every what? He didn't just say we exhorted the crowd. Paul said, as much as was possible in me, I got to know each one of you in a personal way. I built a relationship with you. And I heard years ago, I don't know where I got it from, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Relationship is key. Relationship is key. In any type of ministry, that uh, if you don't have that relationship and maintain that relationship, you're not going to understand the heart of that person. If you don't understand the heart of that person, you're going to make judgments based on artificial, superficial things that's not really dealing with what they're really struggling with, and it's, just, it's going to just push them further away rather than really helping meet the longing need of their life. And praise God we have a great shepherd who knows what that innermost, deepest need is. Amen? That's why prayer is so important in uh, parenting, that God would give us discernment about what the real needs are. All right, I'm going to stop there. I'm all past my time already. But th- th- this First Thessalonians 2, it's filled with principles. It's filled with principles of parenting. Let's pray together.
We thank you that you're a merciful God. Because it's one thing to say this is what we ought to do. It's quite another thing to live it out in life. And I confess to you, Father, I have miserably failed in every one of these points. I'm still a work in progress. And I pray that what I'm preaching, that I would indeed be living and work out these principles. And I pray that you'd bless all of us with wisdom in parenting and grandparenting with these principles we've mentioned today. Lord, may our great concern be your name. May our great concern be that our spirit would be in harmony with the Holy Spirit so that we communicate a right perception of who God is. And so we commit these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.